Well, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4. We're going to be going from verses 30 to 32 today. Let's read God's holy inspired word together. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have promised to forgive all those who place their faith in your Son. God, thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, our confidence is not in our ability to obey, not in our ability to keep your word, not even in our ability to be pleasing on our own. Our confidence is in the fact that we're forgiven because we placed our faith in Jesus. You've forgiven us of all of our sins. You poured out your kindness on us. You've been rich in mercy and grace. And because of that, Lord, we want to worship you with how we live. God, I pray that you would bless this word this morning, that it would pierce our hearts, illumine our minds. And Lord, you promise to be faithful to your word. So I pray that your word would would do what you promised, Lord, that it would not return void, Lord, but it would have a mighty and powerful effect on us individually and as a church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine that instead of being born into the comfortable 20th century in the United States or wherever you were born, imagine that instead of being born into that setting, you were born instead into the Middle Ages sometime. And not only were you born into the Middle Ages, don't you love clown sounds in the middle of, middle of illustrations? This is a great time to silence your phones if you like. So, so, um, imagine you're born into the Middle Ages and you were born into an evil family. In fact, you came from a long line and a long heritage of evil people. And people who were thieves and murderers and liars. People who were deceivers and manipulators. And, and you came from this long heritage. You descended from people who only did what was wrong. They were habitual sinners. In fact, um, from generation to generation, they, they perfected the art of doing wrong. Perfected the art of thieving and stealing and evil. And, and they passed those skills on to you. And you were raised in that environment. And you were... Raised in a poor environment, didn't have much money, and so all you knew was how to steal and deceive and lie and manipulate and take from others. Imagine you were, in your current age now, a wanted villain. And all around the kingdom, there were posters out for your arrest. If you can picture that or not, hand-drawn posters up, posted on the trees, wherever you can think of with your face on them, demanding your arrest. But then imagine somebody came to you and, and you thought at first they were going to arrest you or turn you into the authorities, to the, to the king of the land. And instead they came to you and said, you need to know something. You need to know that you really are a son of this king or a daughter, if you're a lady here this morning. You're a son or a daughter of this king. And we need to know that because of that, this king's a good, kind, merciful, loving king. And he will forgive you if you come to him, confess what you've done, plead with him, and tell him you want to be his child. So you really have run out of all the options that you, you've sought. And, and so you go. And you go to the king, and you fall at his feet, and you ask... Would you receive me as your child? Would you forgive me? And the king does. And he has compassion on you because he's a good and wise and loving king. So not only does the king forgive you though, then the king makes you his, his child. He brings you in as an heir. He takes you into his family and he begins to instruct you in the way that you should live. And he begins to say that now that you have a new life, now that you know who you really were meant to be, now that you know who you are, Here's, here's what you're supposed to live like in light of that. In light of the fact that you're not from that villainous background anymore. I've made you my child. 
Now you don't have to live as a, as a thief any longer. There's no warrants out for your arrest. And, and here's how you're called to live as a child of the king. But we don't have to really imagine that story. You see, that story is, is what's happened to each and every person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We were wanted villains. We were thieves and murderers, at least in our hearts. We were at enmity with God, the great king of all. And he has, out of his compassion and kindness, taken us in as his heir. He's forgiven us. He's made us his own. And he's lavished all his blessings on us. And so... In the Bible, we don't have a set of instructions about how to be like a child of the king by earning it. The Bible is not a set of, here's do's and don'ts, here's how you become a child of the king, by doing these things or by not doing these other things. That's not what the Bible is about. The Bible is about showing you who God is, your need for God, and the fact that you can be his child if you only come to him. And because you're a child of the king... The Bible does have a series of do's and don'ts, but not to earn being a child. The do's and don'ts are saying, because you already are a child of the king now, because you've been adopted, because you've been brought into the kingdom, because you no longer have to live that way, here's who you're supposed to be, here's how you're to live. And it trains us in righteousness and holiness. And so this verses this morning that we have, it's really that, it's... It's God's loving instruction to us as His children. The King is saying to us, Because I've forgiven you, because I've made you my own, because I've put my Holy Spirit inside of you, here's how I want you to live in response. And here's the things that grieve my Holy Spirit. And here's the ways you can live that will be like me. The King says, Now that you've been made forgiven... Now that you've been made new, now that you've been cleaned up, you've been given righteous clothes, you've been, you've been made holy, you have a new life, here's who you're meant to be, here's how you're to live as a child of the King. And so in these verses, the Apostle Paul, he's explaining to those in the churches around Ephesus of what does it look like, because they would have come out of a, of a background that they could identify with that story, they would have come out of a background of thievery and lying and deceit, it was, a, it was not known as being a good area. This is one of the, the areas that was prone to debauchery and wickedness and hedonism. And so they would have needed instruction in how to live like a child of the king. And so Paul is continuing to instruct them. And in this passage, he began earlier in, in chapter 4 with, Because you've been made alive, walk in a manner of the, worthy of the calling with which you were called. And then throughout chapter 4, he's been given us a series of, Here's some things you need to put off. And here's some things you need to put on if you're going to live like a child of the king. And so in these verses, we can see that Paul is now explaining how, how our process of putting off and putting on, how does it affect God and how does it affect others in the church? And so we see this morning, really the main idea is that from this passage, we can either grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can either grieve the Holy Spirit or we can be like God in how we treat each other. He's instructing us in what does it look like to live like a child of the king. We can, either, we can either grieve the Holy Spirit in how we live and how we continue to live. Or we can be like God, follow after God, be as God was and is to us in how we treat each other. So the first thing that Paul explains, like a knight of the king, explaining the impact of our behavior on the king. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we've, we've heard that phrase before. If you've been a Christian, you've probably heard that phrase before, and you kind of read over that, you gloss over that. Can, you can read it and take it lightly. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Yep, yeah, got that. I need not to do that. And we, let's move on. But Paul is, is telling his readers, telling us really something very surprising. He's saying that it's possible for the hearers in that day and us as well to grieve the Holy Spirit of God through how we treat each other. That's the context that we find this. It's possible for you and I to grieve God. As believers, as Christians, it's possible for us to, believe the, to, to grieve the Holy Spirit of God through how we treat each other. So he begins this new sentence in the larger section about what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And he's entreating his readers, don't bring distress. What does it mean to grieve? Don't bring distress. Don't bring sorrow. Don't bring sadness 
See, these are all emotions. God created us as an emotional beings because He's a God who has emotions. So we're created like Him in that. Paul's entreating his readers not to bring sorrow, distress, or grief to the Holy Spirit of God. And so the first point that we see is that we, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God through how we treat each other. It's possible for us to actually grieve the Holy Spirit in how we treat the other people in this room and the other people in the church. How we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you have to think about for a moment, who is this Holy Spirit that's being talked about? Well, see, the Holy Spirit, Paul has been telling us throughout the book of Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes believers alive. He's the one who enables us to respond to God, to be saved. And Paul has told us that the Holy Spirit is the one who builds us together into a dwelling place for the Lord. The Holy Spirit is present here right now. The Holy Spirit is present in our lives, but He's also present in this room. He's also present in our midst as He is building us together into His body, into His temple. And that's an activity of the Holy Spirit. That's what His work is all about, is equipping and enabling the body of Christ. And He's the one, it says in Ephesians, who grants us unity in the body. That's the unity we're to maintain, is the unity the Holy Spirit gives to us. The Holy Spirit's the one who indwells believers. And, and Paul says in, in Ephesians, strengthens us with His power to live in a manner that's pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit need to be aware of that, is He's alive and in you. He's dwelling within you. He's at work in each and every person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and here's the hope we have, this Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? He's the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and He promises to raise you and I from the dead as well. And Paul says something dramatic. He says, don't grieve this Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit you've been given. It's possible for you to conduct yourself in such a way that you can grieve the Holy Spirit of the Most High God. So in the context of these verses, he's saying you can grieve the Holy Spirit when you have attitudes, when you behave in such a way, you speak in such a way that causes the disunity of the body and tears down what the Holy Spirit is building. You see, that's the context of this passage in Ephesians 4. He's talking about the unity of the Spirit. He's talking about walking in a manner worthy of the calling. He's talking about living life in the context of a local church, living life in the context of His body. And the Holy Spirit's work is to build up the body. So any of our actions or attitudes or speech that tears down the body of Christ grieves the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a moment. Anything you do that affects negatively the unity of the body of Christ in your actions, in your attitude, even the way you think about somebody else here, the way you speak, those things are grievous to the Holy Spirit. You ever been grieved by the word somebody else has spoken to you? I know I, know I have. Somebody else has spoken hurtful things to you or about you? Grieved you through their actions, their attitude towards you? Imagine if you lived with that person you're thinking of right now, and maybe you are living with that person right now, and they are continually berating you with speech that tears down, with an attitude that harms, with actions that belittle. You're living with this person day in and day out, moment in, moment out. And they're continually grieving you with words to you or about you. It would be difficult. It would be miserable. And that's kind of the picture that we have here is that we can grieve the very one that's made us alive, that lives with us, that dwells in us, by our speech, by our actions, by our attitudes. And Paul says, don't do that. You see, the Holy Spirit delights when Christ is displayed and the church is built up by our lives, but He's grieved when we engage in unwholesome, corrupt speech and attitudes and actions towards others. And two weeks ago... Um, Paul entreated the Ephesians. We heard from that passage of let no corrupt or unwholesome words come out of your mouth except that which is good for the building up of the body. And so what he's saying too is this is not just applying to, to these verses this week, but it's applying to this whole passage of here's the kinds of attitudes and actions and things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you understand how serious that is? Do you understand the serious nature of how you interact with each other? It's not just, okay, you need to do this. No, you need to, but here's the effect it has. It grieves the Holy Spirit. 
these verses today, Paul's saying that bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is really just loud shouting at each other. You ever been in a shouting match with somebody else? That's clamor. Kind of brawling with somebody else in your words. Slander, words spoken against somebody else, malicious treatment, all these things are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And so if we're engaged in this kind of attitudes and these kinds of actions and speaking, not only are we sinning, we're grieving the one who saved us, the one who's made us alive. And, and that's not a manipulative motive. That's, that's for us to understand the effect that our sin has against a holy God. You see, God wants to understand that He's a holy God and He's given us His presence. And that's what it means to live in the fear of the Lord, not fearing reprisal, not fearing that He's going to punish us, not fearing that we're still guilty, but an awareness of how our behavior, our attitudes, the way we think about each other, the way we speak, how it affects a holy God. And so that's what Paul wants us to get. That's what I believe the Lord would have for us. And, and Paul tells us who this Holy Spirit is. It, look down your Bibles, if you will. He's the one that says, by whom you were sealed. Here's some hope in these verses. Paul's not just leaving us there. He's saying, here's who this Holy Spirit is. He's the one who sealed you for what? For the day of redemption. We have a good hope. The Holy Spirit, He's sealing us. He's placed His mark on us. He's going to preserve us even when we fail, even when we sin against each other. He's going to preserve us until the day of redemption, that day when the redeemed will be made alive. Instead of being destined for judgment and wrath, the Holy Spirit has sealed us so that we will not experience that kind of judgment. One day we'll be completely free from sinning and free from failing, free from imperfections. One day our bodies will be completely redeemed. That's good news. And the Holy Spirit has given to us as a promise that God will enable us to be faithful. He'll enable us to endure and to remain until the end, is what he's saying. Until God brings us safely to the day of redemption. So these verses about not grieving the Holy Spirit, that's not meant to say that, okay, you're going to earn it. No, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He's keeping you to the day of redemption. And you have a great and glorious day to look forward to. You have a, a wonderful day to look forward to that you can't earn. The Holy Spirit has sealed you by God's power. So don't grieve Him. And this reminder, it's meant to be an incentive to holy living and holy speaking. It's meant to be a reminder of the fact that God's presence is ever with us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we have an attitude, God's Holy Spirit is there. When we have negative speech towards somebody else in the body, God's Spirit is present with us. When we treat each other wrongly, God's Spirit is there. We, there's nowhere we can go when we flee God's presence. And that's a motivation for holiness. And then Paul, look in verse 30, 32 or 31. He says, let all bitterness... He didn't just say some. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He's using some, some words there. All bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, all malice. So what's the point that we're meant to get? Well, the second point I want to draw our attention to this morning is that we must put away sinful attitudes, actions, and speech that grieve the Holy Spirit. What are we to put away that doesn't that grieve the Holy Spirit? We're to put away sinful attitudes, actions, and speech. That's what we're to put away. We're to put away. We must put away sinful actions, attitudes, and speech. And then he goes through the list here. He says bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, shouting at each other. Slander, they all have to do with what? With the old man that he's been telling us about. He says, you, you, you were an old man. Now that... Now that you no longer are an old man, you need to put off those old ways. And those old ways include bitterness and, and wrath and anger, slander, shouting, speaking ill of other people. And we don't just take them off like we take off clothes. He doesn't just say, take these things off. He says, put them away. You know, if I take my clothes off for the day, sometimes if, I, if my shirt's not exactly dirty, my secret during the week sometimes I'll take the shirt and I'll, I'll put it I'll hang it up and I'll, I'll wear it again for a couple hours maybe and you know it kind of kind of lessens Julie's load on the laundry that way and so you know but I, I've got it close by if I'm going to do that or maybe I wear blue jeans twice you know some some folks here may wear blue jeans weeks at a time um, 
You put clothes close to you if you want to pick them back up again. What do you do with clothes you don't want to pick back up again? You, you put them away from you. You put them away. And so Paul's not saying, keep it close by, put these things off. He's saying, put them away. Put them away from you. And Paul uses the word all in this sentence twice. He's saying that we're to remove all, every form of anger, every form of anger, bitterness, wrath, clamor, Malicious words, malicious thoughts, intense. You know, think about malice. It's just the intention or desire to do evil to somebody else. It includes any ill will, any spitefulness. You ever felt spiteful to somebody else, towards somebody else? Animosity. And then even though in the verses prior, there is some allowance for a godly anger, in these verses, Paul is clarifying what he was talking about earlier, and he's saying, no, any kind of human anger is not okay. Any kind of human-driven anger is not okay. You put away all. He doesn't say put away some. Okay, some bitterness is okay as long as it's bitterness that is, you know, kind of godly bitterness. No, no, all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all speech that's against somebody else, all malice. You see, the difference is that righteous anger is a result of accurately perceiving true evil as a violation of God's moral law. Righteous anger focuses on God and His will, not me and my will. And so Paul is differentiating here. He's saying this is, this is anger that's not associated with because you want God's justice for His sake, for His glory, for His will to be done. And we can fool ourselves sometimes thinking, oh, well, we have righteous anger because um, I'm angry because it's not right. What happened to me is not right and it's not good. You're... But what you're really wanting is justice for yourself. What you're really wanting is things to be made right for you, not God's will to be done. Righteous anger is always self-controlled. It's never vengeful. It never loses its temper. Think about it. If you are more focused on the negative aspects or negative impact of somebody else's actions to you than we are on what they have done against God's law, we're likely engaging in sinful anger. In these verses, Paul is clarifying some things. He's saying there's, there's absolutely no room for human wrath. There's no room. All anger, all bitterness, all wrath, all malice. There's no room. And we can see a, a really good illustration of what does bitterness, what does anger look like? In, in, in the story of the two brothers, what we, we often refer to as the story of the prodigal son, which is not really a story of just the prodigal son. It's really a story about both brothers. And different reactions that they have to their father. Different ways they have of relating to their father. See, the younger son, he goes and he spends all of his father's inheritance. He impudently asks for it ahead of time. And he spends it all in his own desires and passions. And he goes away. And then he realizes his sin and mistakes. And he comes and he humbles himself. And he comes before his father asking forgiveness. The father freely forgives him. That's us. We've been freely forgiven. But we're also the older brother too at times. And the older brother is the one who says, but that's not fair. You didn't treat me that way. I was good. And look at, I don't, I don't get any of these blessings. I don't get a big feast. I don't have a big fatted calf killed for me. I don't have these blessings heaped on me. And we can be like that self-righteous older brother who was bitter. That's a picture of bitterness. What, is, what does bitterness look like? He was kind of, inside, he was saying, that's not fair. That's not right. He wasn't wanting God's glory, though. He was, he, was, he was thinking about how it affected him. I've worked hard. I've been faithful all my life. And what's my reward? Um, my no good, good for nothing brother comes back and he's completely forgiven. And, and he has like a clean robe put on him. And, and I, I, I've been working hard the whole time. That's not fair. And we can treat each other the same way. We can have the same kind of root of bitterness. Because what has been done to us or said about us or not done to us or not said about us. And we can become bitter and angry and then we can kind of let it see this low level. And we think, I'm not an angry person. Because we don't yell, we don't shout. We don't do things externally. But inside of us, we're full of bitterness and resentment. We can be like that older brother. Feel like we're treated unfairly. We don't get what we deserve. And feel like, I don't, I don't like the way I'm being treated. And I want to be treated differently. And so I'm going to demand it. I'm going to mandate that. And my interactions with others is going to be affected directly by that. 
You see, the bitterness of the older brother colored his perception of reality and what he really had. The father tells him, you really have all these things all along. But he didn't see that because he was bitter. He couldn't see the fact of all the great blessings that he had. Why? Because he was so bitter about how his father treated him and his brother. His bitterness and his anger, it ruined his enjoyment. He didn't enjoy the feast together with his brother. He stayed outside. He had a bad attitude. His bitterness kept him from enjoyment. And bitterness keeps us from enjoyment. Bitterness colors our view of other people. It colors our view of what God's given to us. Bitterness makes us ungrateful people. Bitterness and anger, just like it ruined the older brother's relationship with his dad and his brother, it ruins our relationships. It poisons them. So what is bitterness? Bitterness is simply anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. It's resentment. It's antagonism or hostility towards somebody else. It includes cynicism. Maybe you think, I'm not bitter. Are you cynical? You're bitter. It includes cynicism or sharp, cutting attitude towards somebody else. And when you think of somebody else, you're aware of their faults. You're aware of what they've done to you. Most likely, you're, you're guilty of bitterness. And it, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. It tears down the unity of the body. For a few years ago, a few years ago, for a while, there was a string of um, postal workers. They they had been treated unfairly, and they had just poor working conditions and bad management back in the 80s and 90s. That um, it was breeding this malcontent culture, and so you'd have postal workers. They'd they'd be fired, and they'd come back, and they'd either harm or kill their bosses and their coworkers because they were bitter over how they'd been treated, because they felt like they'd been treated unfairly, and so they they'd do extreme harm, and that's really the the end result of where bitterness leads us. Bitterness isn't something that's new either. Think of Cain and Abel. And how bitterness grew. Bitterness is sometimes dramatic and sometimes drastic like that, like murder. It leads to that. But sometimes it's just silent and taints all of our thoughts about somebody else. Maybe an organization. Maybe bitterness taints you towards your, who you're working for. Or maybe it taints you towards the church or to your small group. Or towards your small group leader or one of your pastors. or Bitterness is, is not something that's to be left alone. It's dangerous. Elsewhere, the Bible calls it an evil root. Bitterness is an evil root. And it, it, can, it can be like a filter that filters all of our thinking, conditions our thoughts about somebody else or a group of people or a church body. So we evaluate the people or the church unfairly. We become blind to our bitterness. And all we're aware is... How we've been affected. It seeps into how we evaluate somebody else. It poisons our thinking. We become judgmental like that older brother. Not only do we assess ourselves favorably in relation to others, we can grow to blame others for our problems, our lack of progress, or our failure to get what we want. You ever done that? Well, the reason why I'm like this is because of somebody else. Or the reason why you're keeping me from these things. You're keeping me from that position. You're keeping me from what I want. There's so many areas we tend to be bitter. I was thinking about it when a, when a class, when a teacher has a favorite and teaches, and the teacher treats one child more uh, favorably than another. Bitterness can creep in. We can resent not only the teacher, but the classmate as well. When the classmate didn't do anything, they were just smart. <laughs> But we're angry because look at them, they know all the answers and I'm bitter towards them because I'm not getting the, what I want, which is favorable treatment from the teacher. In a marriage, we can hold on to perceived wrongs or offenses, even just small areas or weaknesses or inattention to become bitter, resentful. The classic thing is, you know, the spouse who leaves off the toothpaste cap, we can be bitter about small things and they seem silly, but little small things can grow and we become bitter. Or you never pick up your laundry! Or you never, or you just, or you always probably guilty of bitterness there. Whenever we find those kinds of attitudes or speech. Whenever you're constantly disappointed with something the other spouse isn't doing. Maybe the husband never seems to be able to get a good job. Or hold down a job and the wife is bitter or resentful and angry because of the feelings of financial stress. Or the challenges it makes to them and then bitterness creeps in and takes a foothold and it's dangerous and it will destroy a marriage. Maybe you thought you'd be recognized for something and somebody else was recognized instead of you. And you become bitter. 
Maybe somebody got a job or a position or a promotion you didn't and you're bitter. Maybe somebody's not recognizing or seeming to recognize the talent or gifting that you have because you're talented, you're gifted, but they don't recognize in the way you want and you become bitter. Maybe somebody else is able to have babies and you can't and you become bitter against God and other people who have babies and you're angry when they talk about their kids. These aren't easy topics here, but they're very real. You see, the Bible dresses us in where we live. Because we're all tempted. This is not a unique challenge to the Ephesians. This is something that each and every person in this room, all of us, are tempted to bitterness. Maybe somebody's criticized you. I, I'm tempted to bitterness when I got a lot of negative critique. Tempted to have it affect how I feel towards somebody else. And think about somebody else. I need to put those th- feelings and thoughts away consciously. And say, no God, these, this is not a surprise from you to you. Lord, this is... Lord, how can I learn from this? How can I grow? Lord, what's from you and what's not? Maybe somebody didn't love you the way you loved them and you're bitter against them now. It was unrequited love. Bitterness can creep in when you've been offended by somebody. Maybe they said or did something you didn't like or maybe they didn't talk to you. Maybe they didn't respond to you in the way that you thought they should and now you're bitter. Maybe you passed by somebody else in the hallway and they were busy, had things in their mind, they didn't even see you and you go say, hey! And they walk by without a word and you're like, ah, stupid, arrogant people. And then you, you don't talk to them, you avoid them. Or maybe somebody says something hard to you so you avoid them. Maybe you become bitter. You can be found towards a teacher, a boss, a co-worker, a family member, small group Remember, somebody else in the church. Bitterness towards somebody else can come from getting, not getting something you thought you deserved or you wanted, you dreamed of, or you hoped for. Bitterness towards somebody who offended you and you nurse that offense until it eats you up inside and it's all you can think about when you think about that person is what is not. Bitterness towards church or pastor and leader in your life because of their sin or maybe because of their failings or weaknesses. You can have bitterness towards a sibling, bitterness towards a parent, bitterness towards a child who doesn't return your affections or who always seems to be messing up or falling short of your expectations and we can have bitterness because things didn't go the way we thought they should. So we can harbor bitterness. And that kind of bitterness is grieving the Holy Spirit. We're to put it away. Put it away from us. It creeps in because of offense or jealousy or a sense of injustice. It's harboring unforgiveness and it's often subtle. So let's bring it to light. Why? Why do we want to talk about sin? Why do we want to bring these things to light? Why? So they can be forgiven. So we can be cleansed from all our sins. So we can be like Jesus. So we can be made into the the image of His Son. Be who we already are. The new man in Him. That's why we want to bring these things to light. That's why we want to focus on them. Not because we like talking about sin. No. Because we want to be free from it. We don't want to be in bondage and enslaved to things we don't even see. God wants to set you free this morning if you've been dealing with bitterness or anger. Been judging the motives of others. Rewriting history because you're bitter. You see, bitterness, it leaves a bad taste in your in your mouth, in your mind, in your bad feelings, in your heart. And it can lead to all kinds of things. It leads to depression. See, Paul's talking about a kind of a, a growing sequence of bitterness, anger, wrath, or outbursts of anger, shouting, saying bad things about other people, malice, wanting to kill them. It's kind of a trajectory that begins with these subtle seeds of bitterness and anger. It's a destructive evil root that tears up what's laid down. I don't know if you've ever walked on an old sidewalk before on an old cobblestone street in the town that I grew up in. It was an old town and so they had laid the sidewalks down probably a hundred years earlier and what they had planted, they planted these oak trees about five feet back from the sidewalks and so in a lot of places the sidewalks would be kicked up at at angles or broken apart because what had happened is these strong roots had slowly grown underneath the sidewalks and they had cracked up that hard, solid ground and they've broken it up. They've broken the foundations or maybe you've seen a, an old house that has foundation walls that are cracked because the roots have grown in underneath of them. And, and bitterness is like that. It is a slow, at times, subtle, but very powerful root that grows and destroys. 
And it breaks up otherwise solid foundations. It breaks through what you think is unpenetrable. I'm great. I'm doing fine in God. I have a great foundation. I'm stable. I love God in every area. I'm doing great. And what you don't realize is bitterness growing in, left unkept. That that root is not cut off. It'll, it'll break up the strength in our life and it will tear us down. And bitterness is evil. Did you hear that? It's, it's evil. Bitterness is evil because it says something wrong about God and His sovereignty. It says something about His providence and His goodness. Bitterness says we know what's best and God's not good enough for us and other people are obstacles to be overcome or barriers in our way instead of seeing them as as God providentially controlling circumstances and people. Bitterness says sometimes that God doesn't want or know what's best for me. He doesn't want what's best. He He can't really do what's best. It often flows from a lack of trust in God. It comes from evaluating other people as obstacles to overcome or barriers to us getting what we want. Instead of seeing that people have been divinely placed in our lives by God for our good, for us to be a a means and a minister of grace to them. Bitterness can be judgmental, accusatory. It's angry. It displeases God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And Paul uses some other words for different aspects of anger as well. He says, put away all wrath or rage or anger. Any form of indignant outburst, any festering or seething anger, those strong feelings of antagonism or dislike for another person, would put away all shouting at each other in a quarrel. We think, oh, it's fine. We were good. We're all right. We were just passionate. I used to say that I grew up in a loud family and I justify raising my voice passionately loud in an argument as if it's okay because it's just the way I was raised. Right? I mean, I'm German, partially. So I just say it's the German side of me. You ought to see my, you should have seen my German grandmother and my German aunts and uncles when they would get together. Man, it was loud and they would say words I didn't understand except for a few swear words that they would yell out loud. And and I'm just, I'm just passionate because I'm German. Nine! I've heard other people say, I'm just Italian. That's the way I am. We're passionate. We're loud. That's nonsense. Or I'm Irish. I'm Scottish. Or I'm Russian or Spanish. Whatever. That's no excuse. You know, you know what? The, there's some commonalities there. It's not just one culture. One group is passionate. No. You see, this is a common problem for all of humanity has this problem. But we excuse it as a way. You know, here, here's the commonality. It's not our... Our, our heritage is that we're human, we all sin. So why? We can yell at each other when we argue and it's sinful and Paul says, put it away from you. I don't care if it's your heritage, put it away from you. You have a sinful heritage, put that sinful heritage away from you. Be passionate, don't yell at each other, don't shout at each other, don't be unkind. The biblical truth is that sometimes we can think, well, I'm just, I'm just loud because, because what they said and now that, that person is making me angry. No, you see, the Bible says that no one else causes us to be angry. No one else can cause those angry thoughts within in us. The cause of our anger lies within us, and it's normally either because we're proud or we're selfish. Self-righteousness. We want control. We want something else that we, we didn't get it because somebody else makes us look bad. We fear man. We get angry because what somebody else has done makes us look bad. Maybe our spouse did something to embarrass us. We get angry, not because of what she did, but because now it's made us look bad and we're fearing man. That's why we're angry. We're angry at another classmate because he said something that made you feel stupid and look stupid in the eyes of somebody else in your class, and so you're angry at them. But no one calls that anger. It came out of the desires of your heart. We don't get our own way in our marriage, our friendships, our family, our work, our church. We can respond in in anywhere on the spectrum from bitterness to anger to wrath to clamor to slander to malice. Some internalize their anger and claim, I'm not an angry person. Right. (laughs) Just because you're angry is not seen externally. Maybe it's seen in, in sarcastic comments about another person or belittling another person or mocking. Others seethe with resentment inside and it's not seen but it eats the person up inside and it dominates their thinking. They're always ready to go off at the slightest offense. 
Other people do externalize their anger. They lash out in their harsh words and they, maybe they leave angrily. And, the, and then he talks about another word. He talks about the word slander. And that, that, that word slander in the English is not exactly what the original language says. It's, it's the word, the original word really means any kind of speaking out against another person to defame them. You think, well, I'm not saying anything untrue. What I'm saying is true. Well, that's not what this is saying here. It's saying any kind of defaming speech. Whether it's true or not, any kind of vilifying somebody else by lies or just gossip. Sometimes it's masked in our southern culture here that, you know, I'm just, I'm just speaking out of concern for my brother. <laughs> sure. I'm really concerned Sally's not doing well. And that, that's, you're not concerned. You want to out her sin. You want to make her look bad. That's not, if you want to speak out of concern for her, go to Sally and say, Sally, I'm concerned for you. Can we pray? Can we talk? Don't talk to other people about somebody else's stuff. It's sinful speech. It alters somebody else's perception of somebody else negatively. And we can fall into any manner of this type of speech and attitudes and actions and tearing down the body instead of building them up. But let's be clear. Paul is saying any form, all anger, all wrath, all bitterness, all malice, all defaming speech. All these things belong to the old man. We're to put them away. Don't give yourself a hall pass today. Don't think you're not guilty of any of these. We all are. Now remember, our hope is that we've been sealed for the day of redemption to the Holy Spirit. So experience conviction, but don't experience condemnation. See, conviction will lead us to repentance and change. Condemnation leads us to look inwardly, to see no hope. God's bringing hope to us here because saying, you have the Holy Spirit. He sealed you to the day of redemption and He's forgiven you. You have hope this morning to change. These things don't belong to the new person that you've already been made to be. Don't take them lightly. Don't act if it's okay to be bitter. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It's not okay to resent somebody else. It's not okay to be angry in our hearts or words or deeds. It's not okay to shout at them. It's not okay to harbor malice. It's not okay to, to be mean. And so how do we put them away? Well, I think some of the things we need to do, some of the steps we need to take is that we have to acknowledge that we're actually guilty of these things. That's where it starts, with acknowledging that we're guilty of these things. Recognize your sins. Acknowledge you're an angry, bitter person that you yell, that you're resentful, you're malicious in your hearts. And then what do you do with that? You confess your sins and receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. Then if you're wise, what do you do after that? Well, you begin to identify. What are some of the roots? If nobody else causes me to be angry, what are some of the roots that we have here? You can identify them. Ask yourself some questions here. Maybe ask yourself, what was I wanting when I got angry? What was I desiring that I didn't get? When I'm, I'm bitter towards that person or those people, what was I wanting that I wasn't getting? Was I aware of an injustice committed against me? Was I aware of their, how they treated me more than I was aware of God's holiness and God's will? Was I more aware of my will be done? Ask yourself, whose glory am I really wanting here? Is this, do I really believe this person or the situation is under the sovereign hand of God? These, these kinds of questions will help us get to the root. Ask yourself, am I really trusting, believing that God's infinite in His wisdom and, and love and goodness and He's using this conformity to the likeness of Jesus Christ? Or am I really doubting that? And then pray that God would reveal what, what's motivating you. Why? Not so that you can sit there, but so that He can change you, remove that from you. Take away those bitter roots. And then Paul tells us how to replace the sinful actions, attitudes, and words. He tells us in verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another. So it's not just putting off. Paul's telling us to put on, put on some radical things. He says, Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. These are the things that belong to the new self that we're to put on. And earlier in verse 24 of Ephesians, he says, Put on the new self Created after the likeness of God. These are the things that we put on that, that shows that we've been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the third thing we're going to see from verse 32 is that we must put on kindness and forgiveness like God has forgiven us. You, you can flip this verse around to see it a little more clearly. Take the end part of that verse. Start with this part. Start with, as God in Christ forgave you. It's okay to do that in this context. Take that, take that part. As God in Christ forgave you, start with that. Like God has forgiven us, 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's how we're to be kind, like God and Christ forgave us. We're to be tender-hearted, like God and Christ forgave us. We're to be forgiving each other, like God and Christ forgave us. You see, God's kindness has been seen to humanity ever since Adam sinned. God didn't immediately kill him. He actually allowed him to live and have children. He allowed them to be clothed. He kills an animal and clothes Adam and Eve. He's kind to them right after they sinned against them. God's kind and gives Adam and Eve a chance to respond. He says, Adam, where are you? Not because he didn't know, but because God was being kind and giving Adam a chance to come forward on his own. Kindness is seen throughout Israel's history. He's patient with them wherever they sinned. And earlier in Ephesians 2, 4-7, Paul tells us about what how God treats us. And he says, But God being rich in mercy. God's rich in mercy towards us. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, listen to this, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, the place where we ultimately see God's kindness is in Him sending His Son to come and die for sinful mankind in the place of you and me. And His Son took our sins. He took our sins on Himself. And He took all the punishment and wrath that we deserved. And He stood in our place. And we see God's kindness and that anybody who just repents of their sins can be reconciled to God and be forgiven completely. And it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's always kind to His children even when we don't understand the circumstances. Even when we face challenges that we, we don't get. His disposition towards His children is always kind. And what Paul is saying is, God's kindness in forgiving us is to be the basis for our kindness. You see, we're to treat other li- others like we've been treated by God. We're to be merciful and patient, kind, loving, forgiving. It doesn't come naturally, no, though. You know, you know why? Because we're selfish by nature. I'm selfish by nature. When I wake up in the morning, the first person I think about is not normally somebody else and how I can be kind to them. The first person I think about is me. And how I can be kind to myself. And he's saying, God's been kind to you. You be kind in the way God was kind to you. Who Jesus didn't think about his own preferences and desires when he came. He thought about you first and me first. He thought about us. He put aside his preferences and he died for us. Kindness is seen in our attitude It will change our heart towards other people if we begin to see that God's forgiven us and so we can forgive others. Because ultimately, bitterness, resentment, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, all those things flow from a heart of unforgiveness. That's why he says, as God and Christ forgive you. Why? Because those all flow from really stemming unforgiveness, keeping a record of wrongs of other people. We're out to be bitter. We'd be tenderhearted and compassionate. At the core of how we think of somebody in our hearts, he's saying be tender towards them. Have a heart of tenderness, of, of gentleness. Be compassionate. When Jesus looked out on the crowds and saw that they were confused and lost and dumb and didn't get it, he wasn't irritated, he wasn't angry with them. It says he he looked on the crowds and he was filled with compassion towards them. Why? Because they were like sheep with, with no shepherd. They were lost. So we had compassion. That's what it's speaking of. That same word for compassion in, in that verse. It's that's that word here. That tender heartedness. That compassionate way of looking at somebody else. Look at each other with tenderness and compassion in our hearts. It doesn't mean that people won't continue to sin against you and offend you. Yes, they will, but they need our compassion and forgiveness. Because we needed God's compassion and forgiveness. How did God change you? How did God change your heart? He did it by showing you compassion, kindness, tenderness, forgiveness. He melts our hearts with His great unearned love and He invites us to show His compassion to other people. But you can't be kind on your own. You can't be tender-hearted on your own. We need that 
To see that God was compassionate to us when we didn't deserve it. We were like those dumb crowds. We were, it says we were all like sheep who had gone astray. Every one of us had gone our own way. We didn't know where to eat the bread of life. We didn't know where we could get the river of life to drink from it on our own. We were lost. And yet the great shepherd had compassion on us. And he led us beside still waters. And he's given us the bread of life to eat. And he's offering his own self to us. And says, take eat, this is my body for you. And then he promises to fill us with living waters when we were dead from thirst. So Jesus, because of how we've been forgiven, calls us to forgive one another instead of holding grudges. Forgive instead of being resentful. Forgive even when they've hurt or offended you. As God in Christ forgave you, do you think that you earned forgiveness? You didn't. The ultimate motivation for not treating others as they deserve and instead being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving, it says that it's just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In Luke 7.36, Jesus is going to eat with the Pharisees. One of the Pharisees has asked him to dine with him. And so Jesus goes and he eats with these self-righteous people. And and then a woman of the city, a euphemism for uh, probably a prostitute, lady of the evening, she was a sinner. She learned that, it says he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him, at his feet, wipe, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He answered Simon's thoughts, by the way. And he answered and said, Say it, teacher. <laughs> he didn't know what he was saying. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now which of them will love him more? He's trapping Simon here a little bit. And Simon says, Oh, well, teacher, the one I suppose who has been canceled the larger debt, right? And Jesus says to Simon, "You've, You've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. And here's the thing I want you to see in this verse. He says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Sometimes the problem with our bitterness and our anger and resentment is because we are not aware. We are like those self-righteous Pharisees. We are not aware of the fact that we've been forgiven much. And our sins are many. And if you find love lacking, I pray that you would set you would go to God and say, God, show me areas where I'm sinning here so I can understand what you've forgiven me from because I want to love much as I understand that you have forgiven me of much. And then as we close, there's two words that we're going to focus on, these, these two little words. He didn't just say, as God in Christ. He doesn't say, just as God forgave you. He says, as God in Christ. That's the two words we need to look at. In Christ. As we close. You see... The idea we're going to get, this last point that we're going to get from the text is that we can treat each other like God treats us. How? Because we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ. We are not who we once were. We're now a new creation. We are now in Christ. There's hope here in these verses. We're in Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed to the day of redemption. And because we've been forgiven in Christ, we can forgive other people. Because we are in Christ, we are secure. You're now a rightful child of the King. The King has forgiven you. He's pardoned you and He's brought you into His family. And God, the King of all, sees you as He sees His own Son. You are in Christ. That's what it means. You are in Christ. He sees you as He sees Jesus. That's astounding. The fact that you are found in Jesus is where our confidence comes to put off and put on. To forgive because he's in Christ forgiven us. So what does it mean to be found in him? And not, it, means, it means looking to Jesus, not having a righteousness of our own. Not being self-righteous. 
means our very identity has been changed and we can treat each other as God treats us. We can now obey these commands to put off and put on. Why? Precisely because we are in Christ forgiven. That's good news for us. He's not treated any of us as our sins deserve. Even though we were completely guilty, He didn't make us earn forgiveness. He forgave us when we didn't merit any forgiveness. Maybe you've not yet confessed your sins to God. Maybe you're wondering, how do I become a Christian? Here's how you become a Christian. You go to God, and you might not even be aware of all the areas you sin. You go to God and you say, God, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I'm putting my faith, my hope, my trust in the fact that Jesus died in my place, that he was, he was good in my place, and that, God, you're crediting his goodness to, to me if I ask forgiveness and I trust in his forgiveness and trust in what he's did for me. And he promises that he'll make you his child if you come to him. When God forgives it, it says, as God in Christ has forgiven you, he doesn't keep bringing those things up. You see, when he forgives you, he forgives you completely. It says, he forgets your sins. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them. He chooses to actively not count them against you anymore. That's how we're to forgive other people. Because God's forgiven us, we can now not hold a grudge or be bitter or angry. There's no sin anybody can ever commit against us or any offense anybody can ever carry out against us that's greater than the sin and offenses we committed against God. And what we need to do is be aware of our need for forgiveness. And that will change how we view other people. And there's freedom in the good news of the gospel to acknowledge that we're sinners. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. Because all of our sins are paid for sins. This is how we apply the gospel. We can say, yes, I'm a bitter person. Yes, I'm an angry person. Yes, I'm guilty of wrath and yelling and being angry and speaking badly about people. And I'm not afraid to admit it and confess these things. Why? Because I'm no longer guilty. I don't have to carry that weight around anymore. I can be open about it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a loser in all these areas, but thank be to God that he doesn't view me that way any longer and forgives me completely and I can confess these things and receive forgiveness and he'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness and make me actually clean. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel truth daily. It drives a dagger into our heart of self-righteousness and enables us to put away bitterness and anger. And we can affirm, just like John Newton did every day, waking up saying, I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. That's how we battle. That's how we put off and put on. He's giving us the motivation here. As God in Christ forgave you, remembering that you have been sealed for the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit, you can have confidence to put off fighting sin because it doesn't have power over us anymore. We can't be punished for our sins anymore. We can be assured that God is for us and not against us. That's good news. We can be sure that God's with us because He's given us His Holy Spirit and enables us to put off the old man and be made in the image of Christ day by day. And God is now your heavenly Father. Your King has become your Father. He's for us. And this gratitude, if you're meditating on this day by day, this gratitude will produce in you a desire not only to please God, but to treat other people in the same loving way He's treated you. I like the way Jerry Bridges put it in his book, Respectable Sins. And if you've not read that book yet, it's a, it's a great book to bring conviction because it talks about sins that we, we treat as if they're respectable. Just, you know, I get angry, but that's, you know, no big deal. And he says, this twofold effect of encouragement and gratitude by meditating on the gospel. He says, this twofold effect of encouragement and gratitude together produce in us a desire to deal with our sin. Make no mistake, dealing with our sins not an option. We are commanded to put sin to death. It's our duty to do so. But duty without desire soon produces drudgery. Maybe you've been experiencing drudgery and putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Here's what you need to keep in mind. The Holy Spirit sealed you to the day of redemption and God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the truth of the gospel and it is this truth of the gospel reaffirmed in our hearts daily that puts desire into our duty, he says. It's the gospel that stoked the fire of our motivation to deal with our respectable and subtle sins. It's the good news of the gospel that motivates us to seek to be in our daily experience what we already are in our standing before God. Couldn't ask the, the band to come forward if you'll stand for a moment. We're going to sing one last song. We're going to sing the song Cornerstone. 
one of the lines in that song, Cornerstone. I love it. If you'll stand, please, it'd be great. Um, a man named Edward Moat once wrote the original hymn called The Solid Rock. And he says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's where I want us to end. That's where I want us to meditate. Our hope to put off, to put on, it's in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would enable us to to see the great forgiveness that we needed. That you would enable us to see the depths of our sins, not so we stay there, so that we can see that in Christ you've forgiven us of all the great depth of our sins. And that now, because we've been forgiven, we can now become who we already are in you. And that, Holy Spirit, you've sealed us until the day of redemption. You're going to enable us to put off and put on and to be pleasing to you because you've forgiven us. So, God, we want to stand on this solid rock, we pray in Jesus' name.